Good morning, church. Hope you're having a, a fab weekend. It's a half term for um, parents uh, with, uh, with school-aged children. Hope you're surviving the beginning of a half term. Hope you survive to the end. Uh, do remember the team in Kenya. Um, um, Andrew and Nikki Blythe are leading a team um, in Kenya with Harry Stevens and David and Rebecca Lee, um, all part of building and growing in our Kenya partnership, which we're very much um, committed to. Please do um, pray for them um, this week. And uh, Sophie and Chris, um, was Chris not there? I can't, don't worry. I was, um, as we were worshipping, I got a, a picture of, um, whenever you have children, it always changes your emotions. Um, I got a picture of Sammy as a young man, and in his left hand was this standard, and I, I saw him as a leader of an army of God, and I saw him with this standard in his hand, and um, the word of God in the other, and then this sword of the spirit in his sheath, and that sense in which he is going to be a great leader of God's armies. Um, if, if that's something for him, then um, hold on to it, pray about it, no pressure, but um, I think the Lord's in that, and um, may he be a standard bearer for you, Lord. We're in this um, healthy habit series. Just want to make a couple of quick recommendations. Um, this uh, brilliant book written by Peter Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy, is an excellent book as we're exploring this um, healthy habit series. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Um, um, brilliant book, I would recommend that. And alongside that, um, if you're doing something for Lent, is this great little um, um, book, um, 40 Days of day, to, a day, a day by Day with the Lord. Really great, challenging um, devotional series, which I've used. I know a number of the team here have used. I just thoroughly recommend that to you. And then just finally, um, and I found this book particularly helpful in preparation for this morning's message, um, Simon Ponsonby, Different, Living the Holy Life, Living a Life, Being a Faithful Follower of Jesus. A great little book. I'd just recommend that to you. So um, I wonder if I were to ask you, um, what do you think my particular character traits of Jesus are, what would you answer? Be kind. Notice I use the character traits of Jesus. Um, what would be the character traits uh, that you would see in me? I wonder if you were to ask a close friend who knew you well and you asked them, what are some of the character traits of Jesus that you see in me? What would they answer for you? It's a challenging question, I think. Do our lives reflect Jesus? Do our lives reflect some of the healthy habits of Jesus? That's what we're wanting to consider in this teaching series. Um, I'd like to think that um, if you were to reflect back to me, you might list some of the, um, the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. We looked a couple of weeks ago about what it means to walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. So I would hope that you might reflect back to me, maybe some love and some patience and some goodness and self-control. Maybe you wouldn't. I'm a work in progress, but then so are you. <laughs> um, I wonder what it would be like for us to be a church that seek to live out kindness. That's the healthy habit that we're considering this morning, living out 
kindness. Could have chosen any one of the lists of the fruits of the Spirit, but we've chosen um, for this series, as we're in this series, kindness. Um, Truth be told, the world could do with a bit more kindness, couldn't it? Could you do with a bit more kindness? Um, I know... um, you know, we like to think of ourselves as a church that are growing in the, the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. I wonder how we do as a church in relation to the fruit of kindness. Um, I wonder how I do in the fruit of kindness. It's a challenge. It was Mark Twain, the um, 20th century writer, who wrote this. Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Kindness has the power to go beyond the physical and the mental limitations. In the epic story, The House on Pooh Corner, um, I have got a little one and I'm reading Pooh stories. Tigger's creator, the author A.A. Milne, writes this. Just because an animal is large... It doesn't mean he doesn't want kindness. However big Tigger seems to be, remember that he wants as much kindness as Rue. We all want kindness. The word um, that's used, kind or kindness, um, comes from that sort of German word, um, kinder, which means chocolate egg. No, which means... (laughs) That was an easy one, wasn't it? Which means... Children, it's where we get our English term kin or kindred. So the word kindness originally refers to right actions towards our kin, right actions towards our children, right actions towards our family, to our close community. Kindness is treating someone as you should treat your family. Of course, some families can be some of the unkindest of places to be. But kindness is treating someone as you should your family. I think often we can think of kindness as a little bit of a sort of limp word. We think of fluffy towels with um, Laneur fabric conditioner and we go, ooh, isn't it kindness just, ooh, nice. But kindness has energy. Kindness is powerful. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of someone's kindness, you know how powerful it can be how it can stop you in your thoughts, in your perceptions, in your actions perhaps. I remember quite recently we were trying to um, plan a bit of a family holiday. We needed a little bit of a family break and um, we were struggling to think how we might pay for it last autumn and, and someone very kindly gave us an envelope with some cash that enabled us to go on holiday. It was an act of generous kindness and it was very powerful to us. Kindness is to be a characteristic of those who faithfully follow Jesus. He is the king of kindness. The Apostle Paul says this, And the Lord's servant, followers of Jesus, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not be resentful. Must be kind to everyone, There's a command in there from Paul, must, must be active in being kind, demonstrating right actions towards one's family and the wider family, but Paul says to everyone, 
not the people that you find it kind to display kindness to, but to everyone. Paul means that kindness is one of the most basic characteristics of those who want to follow faithfully Jesus. You know, we, I think sometimes we, we think we, we the, you know, the, the mission of the kingdom of God is telling people about Jesus. I must tell people about Jesus, and that's absolutely true. But I think without kindness, often the words do fall on deaf ears. Because kindness, the deaf can hear, as Mark Twain said. How does Paul know that it's an imperative that followers of Jesus must be kind? Paul knows because he's heard about it and he's seen it for himself in the lives of other faithful followers of Jesus who have seen it in the life of Jesus. We're just going to do a quick overview of the bits of the the life and the ministry of Jesus and how we see kindness in Jesus because Jesus was kind. In the middle of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 12, we read this. A large crowd followed him, Jesus, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And Matthew jumps into this prophecy about Jesus. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. I will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick he will not stuff out till he had brought justice through to victory in his name to the nations will put the, in, in his name the nations will put their hope. And when as I was reading that it got me thinking, why did hundreds of people follow Jesus? Why did hundreds of thousands of people, many people, large crowds follow Jesus? And you read that prophecy from Isaiah, a bruised reed, he will not break. He's not going to beat anyone down who's already partially down. He's not going to snuff out a smoldering wick, something that feels like it's not got life, but actually he's going to speak life into that. And we see it very much in the life of Jesus. You know, was, did people follow Jesus because of his good looks? No idea. Did people follow Jesus because of his great skills as a communicator? You know, was Jesus, would Jesus have his TED talk of 18 minutes been at the top YouTube cli- um, te- in the top 10 of YouTube clips? Maybe, I don't know. What I do think is that people followed Jesus for his tangible, extravagant kindness. They followed him for his irresistible kindness. Jesus is the dwelling space or the incarnation, the personification of kindness. And I'd like to suggest this morning that those that seek to faithfully follow him ought to display those same characteristics of kindness to others. Jesus was kind. Secondly, we see that Jesus was kind. Jesus was kind in his miracles. Jesus' miracles were never merely displays of power. In fact, when people ask Jesus to show them a sign of his power, you know, show us your power, Jesus, demonstrate that you're the Messiah, he actually refused. Jesus' demonstrations of power came from acts, first and foremost, of compassion, of kindness. 
Jesus was moved with compassion and he fed the hungry of 5,000 plus. He was moved with compassion when he healed the sick who came or were brought to him. He was moved with compassion when he set free those who were depressed, sorry, oppressed by the demonic and dark shadows in their life. He was moved with compassion and he reached out to touch the sick leper and healed them. Simon Ponsonby in his book that I um, just highlighted, Different Living the Holy Life, suggests this. Perhaps the paucity of miracles today reflects an absence not of faith in God, but of the kindness of God. That it's out of God's kindness, the compassion that we have, that we've experienced from him, that we might pray for the sick, that we might pray for our neighbor, that we might pray for our work colleague in work. Thirdly, we see kindness in Jesus' interactions with other people. The apparent holiness of the religious elites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those religious leaders, the people that, um, that the Jews looked up to for their, for their teaching, they themselves distanced themselves from those who were considered sinful. They didn't draw near, but what we see in the life of Jesus is that very much Jesus is the person that drew near to those that the community of the religious elite ostracized. Jesus drew near to those who were considered unclean. And when Jesus drew near to people who were unclean, he demonstrated his power and they became clean. You know, the leper was ostracized and had to be you know, outside of the city walls. They had to live in leper colonies and they had to be covered and they had to wear bells and no one was allowed to go near them because they were considered religiously unclean. But Jesus goes and touches the ones who community has ostracized. Jesus, in his interactions with people, demonstrates his kindness. The woman caught in an adultery, Jesus said to her, I do not condemn you but go and sin no more. When people wanted to stone her, when people wanted to throw the the religious rule book at her for her actions, Jesus said, I don't condemn you, but know the kindness of God and go and sin no more. Jesus' kindness meant that he was friends with tax collectors and sinners. Isn't it incredible that God wants to be friends with humanity. In his kindness, he wants to be your friend. He wants to be my friend. And there's nothing that we can do that will change the fact that he wants to demonstrate his kindness to us and be his friends. Fourthly, we see kindness in Jesus' teaching. In his famous teaching of the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you know the story, Jesus doesn't simply encourage practical kindness to those who are suffering, but actually kindness to those who we might consider to be our enemies. The Samaritans were considered dogs. They were considered, um, you know, by, by Orthodox Jews, they, were, they would, you know, if, if, if a Samaritan would come by, an Orthodox Jew would typically spit at them because they were, they were unclean. They'd, they'd associated themselves with, with, um, with other nations and they'd, they'd, they'd really jettisoned some of the, the law of God. And so they were considered unclean. Why would you help someone that was considered an enemy? Why would you help someone if it wasn't out of kindness? 
Jesus demonstrates the kindness of God in the story of the parable of the prodigal son, a son who runs away from his family, from his father, basically saying, Father, you are dead. I don't want to know you. I don't want to be in your presence. I just want your money and I'm going and you are dead to me. But the father, the prodigal father, the the father that demonstrates the ultimate extravagant love runs and embraces the son and reinstates him and and welcomes him as a prince in the family and lavishes his generosity on him with a banquet. Incredible generosity of the father. Kindness demonstrated by the father. The kingdom of God is not only a holy place, it's a kind place. God's family are to be a kind family Yes to each other, but yes to those outside of the family. There is no um, prejudice to the kindness of God, and there is to be no prejudice in the kindness of the people of God. Fifthly, we see kindness at Jesus' death. We see kindness shown even at the most painful of betrayal of someone considered a friend, Judas. Judas comes to kiss Jesus, having betrayed him. And Jesus says, friend, friend, even though you've betrayed me, my kindness says, friend, you are my friend. Jesus hung on the cross and in the throes of his agony, he still ensures that his mother is looked after. Kindness demonstrated even on the cross. John, here is your mother. Mother, here is your son. John chapter 19. We see kindness in Jesus' extraordinary grace towards his killers, to those who have whipped him, to those who have beaten him, to those that have mocked him um, as, he stand, as, he, as, he, as, as he hangs um, on the cross about to give up his breath. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Forgiveness is Kindness. We see kindness in Jesus. We see kindness at his resurrection. When Peter had denied him, Thomas had doubted him. But in both those cases, he demonstrates kindness. Jesus is godly kindness in the most extravagant of ways. As faithful followers, what does it mean for us to cultivate habits of intentional kindness? I don't think we slip into kindness. I don't think we particularly do well at sort of randomly doing kindness. Some of us do. I, 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 I know that. I've got someone that um, works on the staff team at Trinity and is extre- extremely kindness. She knows exactly what I need when I need it. And that's usually about three o'clock. I need a Twix. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's, ex- it's incredibly kind. It's incredibly kind. It's a small act of kindness, but I notice it and I feel the kindness. Paul reminds the early church about this truth of kindness when he writes to Titus. If you've got a Bible, um, the words will appear on the screen, but if you have, turn to Titus, (coughs) excuse me, chapter three. Paul is reminding Titus 
about the importance of goodness and kindness when he says this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, or we might say kind, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. If, gentle, if exercising gentleness is not kindness, I don't know what is. At one time, we too, we were foolish, we were disobedient, we were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hatred, hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, how did the kindness and love of God, the Savior, appear in the person of Jesus? Jesus, the incarnation of kindness. He saved us, not because of righteous things or good things we'd done at the time, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. If that isn't a a biblical imperative to get baptized, if you're a follower of Jesus on the 4th of March, then there it is in in black and white, um, be baptized, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And he says this, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, those who are faithful followers of Jesus, those who are seeking to cultivate healthy habits in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, to demonstrating kindness. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. What Paul is saying is that the early church, you know, you have received kindness in your salvation. You've received the kindness of God. Now go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Jesus was kind and his faithful followers should also be kind. We see the kindness of Jesus modeled for us can't get away from it in every element of Jesus' life, in his teaching, in his miracles, in the way he interacted with people, in his death and his glorious resurrection. Jesus was kind. What does that look like for us on a daily basis? Simon Ponsonby in his book, again, says this, kindness is not a gift given in an instant anointing. It is a command to obey that becomes a character that we display, cultivated through our walking in the Spirit. Cultivated by our walking in the Spirit. Are we a church that are being led and walking in the power and the presence of the Spirit? Are we allowing God to cultivate in us by acts of obedience, demonstrating kindness that becomes the character that we display to others? The early church knew the kindness of God and they demonstrated. Stephen Blackhouse, um, he's a doctor, he's the lecturer in social and political theology um, at Simulitis College in London. And he writes about the early church and their, their, their significance and the power in, this, in the second century of their kindness when he writes this. 
In AD 165, a plague swept through the mighty Roman Empire, wiping out a third of the population. It happened again in 251, when 5,000 people a day were dying in the city of Rome alone. Those infected were abandoned by their families to die in the streets. The government was helpless. The emperor died of the plague. Pagan priests fled their temples where people had flocked for comfort and explanation. Yet following the plagues... The good reputation of Christianity was confirmed and its population grew exponentially. The church grew exponentially during this plague. Why is this, he says. Christians did not come armed with intellectual answers to the problem of evil. They did not enjoy a supernatural ability to avoid pain and suffering. What they did have was water and food and their presence. In short, if you knew a Christian, you were statistically more likely to survive. And if you survived, it was the church that offered you the most loving, stable, and social environment. It was not clever apologetics, strategic political organizations, or the witness of martyrdom which converted an empire, so much as it was the simple conviction of normal men and women that what they did for the least of their neighbors, they did for Christ. What an incredible vision and mission of the church. Kindness. Kindness demonstrated in very concrete ways. I wonder what that might look like for us. There was a a book in um, the early 1990s um, written by Steve Shogren. I don't know if you, have, you may have come across it, called Conspiracy of Kindness. And that book is one of the things that was the inspiration for Soul Survivor to start The Noise. If you don't know what The Noise is, The Noise is a, um, a series of social action projects in local communities, and Trinity was very much involved in doing The Noise here, um, helping single-parent families, helping those who were um, ill or um, vulnerable adults, and um, you know, bringing significant um, transformation through acts of kindness um, to people who are in need. Um, and we put a pause on it, I say put a pause on it because one of the things that we discovered over um, years is that we, we, we perhaps became a little bit tired of it. Um, I'm not saying, suggesting at all that we've become tired of kindness, but, but for, for various reasons, we just, lots of us just couldn't get, get involved. But they were powerful things. They were so powerful that, I don't know if you remember, there was a headline in the, the Gloucester Echo that said, um, you know, Trinity Cheltenham, good news for Cheltenham. I mean, what an incredible thing to be known for in this town. Good news for Cheltenham through acts of kindness. And in the book, um, Steve Shogren, um, who basically started a small group in a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and their their mantra basically was small things done in love change the world, um, which is a quote from Mother Teresa. And they started doing all kinds of small acts of kindness in their community. And over a period of Um, 10 years, the church grew to 4,000, and it's still growing. (coughs) Through small acts of kindness, it was then that um, we coined the phrase, I think, servant evangelism. And he said this, um, he writes this in the book, for most Christians, doing evangelism is a lot like going to the dentist. No one really enjoys doing it, but it must be done once in a while. 
but anyone can do simple acts of kindness. People don't necessarily remember what they are told of God's love, but they never forget what they have experienced of God's love. An incredible truth. And he goes on and sets this vision. He says, God is seeking to enter the heart of every person on this planet, but he faces a significant obstacle to his conspiracy. The problem has never been the message. We have that straight for the most part. Nor is God's problem the lack of an audience. Plenty of people need to hear good news. His problem is the reluctant army he calls the church. God is looking for people who are willing to participate in acts of love and kindness to those outside of their present circle. He's looking for people who believe that a humble demonstration of love plants a seed of eternity in the hearts of others that will blossom into faith in Christ. Sounds like a vision for a church, doesn't it? Acts of love and kindness. Wouldn't it be great for you and I to be known for acts of love and kindness in this community? I'm not saying that we're not. Um, I started off by saying, you know, what might I be known for in terms of some of the characteristics of Jesus that you know or you notice or that you see? What might people notice in you? What might it look like if we demonstrated kindness in very intentional ways to those particularly outside of the church? What would that look like? Jordan Seng, who's been here, vineyard pastor in Blue Water, Hawaii. Um, Tim and Hills have visited them. I don't know. Have you been to Hawaii at all? No. Okay. Um, he spoke at New Wine uh, a couple of years ago, and he said, faith is spelt T-R-Y. T-R-Y. Try. What would it look like if our kindness began with trying to be kind with a smile? That every interaction that we have, every person that we met on a daily basis, face to face, rather than, it was a smile. I wonder how our interactions might change, generally speaking, if we tried to smile more. Christians should be the happiest people on the face of the planet. They have eternity in sight. They're living it out. Begin every interaction. Try with a smile. Try being kind with our words. What would it be like if every person you met in your day to day, you specifically said to the Lord, Lord, how can I encourage, how can I build this, this person up with some kind things that I can say to them? That might be really hard because there are some people that it is hard to demonstrate kindness to. I know, I'm one of them. It is, but what would it look like if our faith was spelt T-R-Y with our words? Try being kind with our prayers. I wonder what your prayers are like. I'm embarrassed to say that too often my prayers are too often about me and my situation or my family or my immediate needs. What would our kindness look like if our prayers were about others? I don't know if you do a prayer list on notes in your phone or something like that, but I wonder how much of our prayer list, what percentage of our prayer list is 
about us and in what percentage is for others. Try being kind in sharing the gospel. The greatest kindness that we can show is to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The flip side of that, I think, is that the greatest unkindness is not to share the incredible good news that we have in Jesus Christ. T-R-Y. T-R-Y kindness, church. What would that look like for us? Let's stand. You'll notice in that I've been kind in not preaching too long. (laughs) That's primarily because the celebration is not over. We're just going to spend some time waiting on Jesus. I just encourage you in this moment not to disengage. Holy Spirit, I hope, has been speaking. The Holy Spirit will continue to speak. The Holy Spirit will continue to act and to work in us if we make ourselves available and open to him. I want to encourage you. If you're new and you're visiting us, um, we always give space um, at the end of a message. Um, it's not the end of the, ser- the celebration, the service, when the message ends. Um, we all, this is a part of our celebration to give space for ministry, to pray for people. Um, children don't need to be picked up for another 12 minutes. So you've got plenty of time and space. So I just encourage you in this moment, just be still. Let's wait on the Lord. I encourage you, you might find it helpful to close your eyes so that you're not distracted and to keep our eyes perhaps just looking to Jesus as I pray. You might find it helpful to hold out your hands. Holding out our hands is a posture of receptivity, of receiving. I'm going to pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, would pour into us a greater love and a greater kindness. Heavenly Father, we welcome your presence in this place. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. I want to invite you in this moment to invite God's Holy Spirit to come to you. Wherever you are in the journey of faith, Maybe you don't think you're near to God. Maybe you think that you are close to God. Wherever you are, I would encourage you to pray a simple prayer. God, please give me your Holy Spirit. I need you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Welcome you, Holy Spirit. Pray more of your presence. Pour out your spirit on your church, Lord.
Molot. So we were praying before our gathering. Someone had a, a sense in which there was, for some, a, a great sense of fear and anxiety. If you are someone who are go, you're going through a sense of fear and anxiety, then we'd love to pray for you. It might be about work, it might be about family situation, but you, are, you feel overwhelmed with worry. You're anxious. I think as well for some, it's causing you not to sleep. If you are sleep deprived through anxiety, we want to pray that God would lift that and God, that, that God would take away that anxiety and that God would give you the resources to look to him and seek him and know his strength. I had a sense as well that perhaps someone here this, this morning and you, um, you, you simply feel beaten up. You feel beaten up emotionally. You feel beaten up mentally. If that's you in a moment, I want to invite you to come to the front with others um, to be prayed for. I think as well there's um, someone that's got a, a, an injury to the right knee. If you've got an injury to the right knee, we'd love to pray for God's healing power um, to come and heal you at the end. I think as well um, someone who um, struggles with Raynard's disease. Raynard's disease is that thing that... Um, causes hands to be cold and almost like permanently cold and to struggle with that. I think um, if, if that's you, we want to pray for that. I think um, as well, um, someone has um, pulled their back on the right-hand side. If you've done that recently, we want to pray for God's healing there. If you've got an, um, an injury, it might be uh, a long-term injury, but if that's you, we want to pray for God's healing power to come there. So um, here's what we're going, to, we're going to do. If you are here this morning and you know you need a touch from the Father, we'd love to pray for you and I want to invite you, wherever you are in the journey of faith, you just know you need a touch of God this morning to come to, come to the front so that we can pray for you. If you are someone who... Um, one of those words of knowledge about physical healing. Um, if you are the proud owner of one of those little idiosyncrasies, I want to encourage you to come to the front so that we can pray for you. It would be um, unwise, I would suggest, to go away if the Lord's been pinpointing something in your physical body that he, he might like us to pray for to, to go out of here having not received prayer. Um, so I'd encourage you, if, one of, if you're the proud owner of one of those physical um, ailments, come let us pray for you. That's one of the kind things that we do as the, the church of Jesus. We want to pray for the sick or unwell. If you're sick or unwell for anything, then please come to the front so that we can pray for you.
If you are someone who has felt overwhelmed with anxiety, hasn't been sleeping well, um, then I, can I encourage you to come to, be f- to the front so that we can pray for you? And if you are someone that you have felt beaten up emotionally, mentally, then can you come as well? And if we could have some of the church um, to come and pray, 